it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor, subscribe to the Giant Con Report wherever you get your podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, do me a big favor, hit that like button. That really helps. Also hit that subscribe button. That helps too. You can find us on YouTube as part of Empire Media, A-M-P-I-R-E. Always much appreciated. Today, it's part two of an off-season roundtable with my three young reporting colleagues on the Commander's Beat. But not a lot of us, there's not a lot of us out there every day. These are three of the, the fellas who are out there every day. So I want to bring their insight because, again, they're out there every day. That matters. Anyway, it's Matthew Paris from the Washington Times, Sam Fortier from the Washington Post, and Pete Haley from NBC Sports Washington. These guys put a lot of work into this beat. They have good insight. So give it a listen, get to that. I'll get to that in a few minutes. Anyway, some of the topics we discuss, and we're going over the roster this time. Last time I had him on, we talked about the offensive coordinator search, some ownership issues, et cetera. Now we're going to look at the roster. Where do they need to add? But a lot of the talk is about defensive tackle, Deron Payne, and the offensive line with Payne. Do you keep him? How much do you pay him? Should you keep him? How should you keep him? all those questions, how they think it may unfold. So I think we're going to take a look at all that stuff, but that's the biggest question, of course, with the pending free agents on this roster. So wait a minute for that one. And I went, before I get to that, I do want to talk a little bit about the offensive coordinator search and some other coaching issues. So let's start with the fact that San Francisco was eliminated. Kansas city, of course, still alive because they're going to be in the super bowl with, with San Francisco, um, eliminated. That means Washington will try to bring in assistant running backs coach, excuse me, assistant head coach slash running backs, Anthony Lynn from the 49ers, bring him in for an interview for the OC job. They they are interested in Eric Bieniemy from the Chiefs. However, because he's still alive, if they want to wait for him, they're gonna have they're gonna wait until after the Super Bowl. I've been told that this team is very okay with being patient and waiting for their guy. So if they have to wait that long, that's what they're going to do. But I think I don't know how that will play out if Anthony Lynn comes in and they really like him, if that would make a difference, if they lean on what if they if they go through this process this week and then look back and say, hey, they really liked Coach X, then that's where they would they could always do that. But it does sound like they would like to wait to talk to these guys to both these guys, which for Bianami would mean after the Super Bowl. So that that's what we know right now. I don't know what day Lynn would be coming in. I don't know that he is coming in, but I certainly know that there is that they would they would like him to come in for the interview, and then we'll go from there. If you notice, a lot of the coaches that that when Washington's looking at these assistant coaches for the OC job, look at the coaches that these guys have worked under: Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, Andy Reid. It is not a coincidence. There is a definite. They are definitely looking at this style of offense. It doesn't always just mean flat out West Coast, but it's a style of offense, so which would incorporate that certainly. But it's it's the the way they use the run game, but also the pass game, how they get their playmakers 
in position to make plays after the catch. So that way they don't always have to go down the field for these chunk plays. I think what that what you saw in that last game and for the Washington in the regular season was a little bit of what they'd like to be. Some of those that quick game and getting guys like Jahan Dotson and getting guys like Curtis Samuel, Terry McLaurin, yards after the catch. And by the way, speaking of Jahan Dotson, I did have an interview with him that was posted last week. If you did listen to it, do me a favor, go give it a listen. Obviously, I enjoyed the interview because I think Jahan was very insightful, talking a little, talking about what he learned during the season, very specific examples. He's a very mature, insightful young man. And so I think it's worth listening to. It's not the you know, there's there's nothing, no just, you know, boring whatever, or boring insight. It's legitimate in stuff that he learned. And then we, t- we talk about Sam Howell. I talked about how basketball actually helps Jahan Dotson's route running. There are specific examples of some plays. It's like, yeah, that's a basketball move. You know, whether it's a head fake, whether it's a little hesitation move, things like that. And I love watching that kind of stuff, especially for receivers, because you can see how they incorporate that aspect. Jordan Reed, when he was tight end here, use that an awful lot. So other guys have too, but I also, I always think it's kind of cool how you can mix the sports and how it can help you in another sport. Anyway, he was really good talking about what he wants to learn in the future, but also about Sam Howell, why he likes Sam Howell a lot. So there you go. That was last week. Go give that a listen. Now let's get back to my stuff on the OCs. So, and as far as the goes, people have asked, well, why would he want to come here? First of all, you know, we, we know he's been linked to some other OC openings. We don't, we don't know that he's going to be offered those jobs. I don't think it's a slam dunk that he would. So that's one. I don't know what his options really are going to be. We know what teams he may interview with, but what teams will offer him. That's always the key. Secondly, you, you watch those Chiefs games. Andy Reid is the guy that runs that offense or at least calls the plays. This is the some this is what he's been running for a long time. Not that Bienmi doesn't get deserve any credit for whatever some of the stuff that goes on there, but if you're asking why would he go away from that, it's if you, you have a chance to go call your plays, run the entire thing, and have it be your offense, that's what you do. Anyway, long wait for that. So we'll see what happens there. Also, I wanted to just maybe not clear up anything on Chris Harris, but also maybe just Make sure I'm clear as to what I think would happen here with him leaving for either Tennessee as an assistant head coach slash secondary coach or as a defensive coordinator with the Bears. So, and I said that they would look to promote from within. It's not necessarily not necessarily to take over his direct role, but they would have they would keep. They already have two guys, Brent Vesselmeyer and Richard Rogers. Rogers, I told you before, worked with the safeties. It was um, Harris worked with the corners. Visselmeyer worked with the nickels. They each had specific things they worked on during the week that they would install. So they would bring, if they promote from within, which it sounds like they would, and I think the guy that I would look at would be Christian Garcia, who's a um, defensive assistant. But So it's not like he would elevate to Harris's specific role or job or take that whatever be the face of the secondary coach, whatever, but they would bump him up and take that third, be the third of those three assistant coaches. I hope that makes sense. I don't know if I've cleared it up or not, but it's not like he's going to come up and be the new Chris Harris, but he would come up and be one of the three assistant coaches coaching that secondary. So there you go. Um, Last thing, last thing I want to talk about is, is the Philadelphia Eagles and just a brief second here, but 
one thing I think you can learn from this, how they were built and what they've done to reach this point, especially with that offense. They built a strong offensive line. That's why this team, Washington, needs to do the same in the offseason because the Eagles have ways to hurt you on offense, but it starts with that line is so good. Then you have a quarterback in Jalen Hurts who, give the Eagles credit, they built around him with the receivers, getting Devontae Smith, A.J. Brown, Dallas Goddard, a tight end, getting a really good run game with you have Miles Sanders, versatile back. But they used him in the way that he should be used, or they really kind of crafted an offense to him. But you've got to give Hurts a ton of credit because I think that kid is really developed. So if you're looking for how can this team do something like them, well, first of all, it starts with the line, and then it starts with crafting something around what that guy can really do. And, you know, it's not always as simple as it sounds. I mean, I've always heard like, oh, just use a guy to his strengths and blah, blah, blah. Well, sometimes what you think his strength is, is not really their strength. But there are things that guys can do, find what they can do, and then maximize them. I give the Eagles credit because I think that's what they've done on that offense. But I also give Hurts a lot of credit. I would never dismiss. I'm not going to just credit. Oh, he's got all this talent around him. Oh, they do coaches do this. That kid has also become a better quarterback over the last couple of years. He was already a good leader. He became a better quarterback. And I think the Eagles have done well. I think that entire group has done well working in unison to build this. I think if you want a lesson, there it is. But again, it starts with that line is really good. This team needs to build a much better offensive line. That's priority number one this offseason once you get this coordinator job filled. So there you go. That's enough from me. We don't want to hear any more from me. We want to hear from my, my conversation with my reporting colleagues, Matthew Parrish from the Washington Times, Sam Forty from the Washington Post, and Pete Haley from NBC Sports Washington. A lot of good talk about the commander's roster. Here you go. Enjoy the conversation. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I am back with my fellas, the three amigos. I don't know if that's like, do you guys have a nickname for yourselves? Uh, the future of journalism. <laughs> TFOJ. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty yeah. you know, subtle and the humble. FOJ. There you go. Well, anyway. Well, maybe people don't care about the backstory, but somebody called us that. We did not call ourselves yeah. that. I just want to be, I just want to clarify that. It was a Ben Standard uh, tweet. Yeah, a real eye for talent there. There you go. <laughs> Anyways, so now you hear him talking. I'll introduce him. It's Sam Forday from the Washington Post, Peter Haley from NBC Sports Washington slash Monumental, Matthew Paris from the Washington Times, my favorite young reporters in the press room because you're the youngest reporters in the press room. So I don't have a choice but to have you guys as my favorite <laughs> young reporters. Anyway, but I do appreciate your guys' knowledge, and I really enjoy having you guys on, so thank you. But I wanted to go, We last last episode, we talked about ownership, 
and we talked about OC, those offensive coordinator search. And by the way, for people watching, if you're watching us, you may notice that we're in the same threads that we were in the one episode a couple oh, of days earlier. Oh, should have changed shirts. That would have been a great yeah, My hat's backwards, pushed. if that helps. Yeah, I would. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. See, Sam looks different. Anyway, so I wanted to get into this time into the personnel issues of what Washington <laughs> is facing this offseason. Matt, let's start with you. What do you, what is the number one thing, you know, as far as personnel that that they have to figure out and what you know, what is the biggest offseason personnel decision to make here? Well, it starts with quarterback, but I think they are set kind of with Sam Howell. I think that's the direction they're going to lean. I mean, unless he blows it in training camp or stuff. I mean, I'm kind of interested to see what type of veteran if they do bring in one, what type like is it a Jacoby Brissett type, Teddy Bridgewater, you know, the the Marty Herney connections, maybe that makes sense. Um, but besides besides quarterback, because I think they are going to stick with the plan that they're indicating. Um, I'm really interested to see what happens with Deron, with Deron Payne because there's legitimate argument to pay him. They've set up their roster to let him walk. I mean, the Darian Mathis pick to me was a clear indication that they were going to say goodbye to him and then he got hurt and was out for the season. Um so, you know, I, I'm really interested to see what happens there. I kind of think the franchise tag makes sense personally, but uh, we can talk about that a little bit more in detail than that for the others. Well, I'll ask Pete right now. What, what do you think about that? And you can then get into what you think it is, but what do you think about the tag for Deron Payne? Yeah, I think that's the best route. Deron may not like it, but um, I, I think uh, paying Payne and Allen, while it might set you up for success in the near future, might hamstring you in the far future and it's just you got more defensive players to care about and tie your money into and and while Payne really surprised me this year I didn't think he had a gear like that um it, it's just really difficult to just continue to invest so much money into that d-line you drafted Mathis you got to trust that he's gonna fill in for that guy so I think franchise tag works you keep for for one more year if you're on Rivera you don't want to lose that huge difference maker in a year where you need to win so I think that's that's the kick the can down the road and then Ron or coach X can figure out what to do in 2024 with the Ron uh, beyond quarterback. I think it's the O-line and this year for me was really uh, informative about the importance of the O-line. And that's pretty dumb for someone who's covered the NFL to say, but like this team has gotten by with Donald Penn and they've gotten by with Eric flowers and, and just picking up these projects or these older players, plugging them in and forming a decent offensive line. But this year that really ran into a wall and week after week, there's these plays where they just had no chance, whether it was a run play or a play action. There's guys in the quarterback's face or right in the running back's face immediately. So just a total overhaul of the O-line, I think, will be massive for the direction of this team. What do you think, Sam? I don't mean for this to be revisionist history, but I do wonder if like, we were almost um, – we thought the offensive line play was better than it was in 2020 and 2021 because – Washington's average depth of target was was the lowest in the league. Their quarterbacks got the ball out of their hands, and some of that was skill players. You know, I know at that point, but um, but to to your point, like I do think offensive line uh, is is up there. Um, the franchise tag for for Deron Payne was I was just looking is nineteen million. Right. Um, so I mean, especially if you're a coach that needs to win now, like I could I could see the argument for hey, you know, we we might not be here in a year, so like we would put having a uh, short-term talent over, you know, a long-term healthy relationship um, with this guy. But the thing that stuck out to me the most, and it, and it made sense, but I was kind of surprised to hear them be as explicit about it in that end of season press conference was, was center. Um, 
you know, Tyler, um, Chase really coming off two back-to-back season-ending injuries. Um, you know, you don't know what he's going to look like coming back. And so for them to say we need to get younger at that position um, was a pretty clear indication that they're going to be aggressive. Um, I believe one of the top center prospects in the, in the country is a kid out of Notre Dame named Jarrett Patterson, which would be funny to to, to have in the locker room. Um, it's weird that Nikki already has her, her profile done. <laughs> Jarrett Patterson and Chris Paul, they're, we're really starting to form something up front. <laughs> Um, Trey Turner, keep Trey Turner around too. What are we doing? Uh, I think the two others that, that we haven't talked about as much, but I think corner, they got to get more talent there. They got to get deeper there, particularly post William Jackson. Um, and, and I think tight end, I don't know if, if, you know, if something happens with Logan Thomas, but, you know, considering his cap hit and his relative production, I know that it took him a while to get back. Uh, he's also older, but, um, at 31, how does that make you feel, Paris, that we're talking about him as older? Um, <laughs> well, how do you think it makes me feel? I'll address that next year, you know. Um, but I think those are kind of the, all the, you know, the major positions. And then obviously Cam Curl at, at safety. So let's stick with Deron Payne because you guys all seem to think that the franchise tag is the, is a good way to go. Do, would you, if you do that, would you consider trading him at that point? If some, and what do you think his value would be? You're trading, would you be trading high on him? Or is the better route to say, Hell no, you need to win. I mean, it depends. Like, if you get a pick in this draft that's a, a good pick and you feel like can make an impact at, at a position of need, maybe, you know, especially if it's like a corner that you would feel comfortable plugging in right away. But I mean, if I'm Ron Rivera, like, and there's a new owner and I need to win as many games as I can, I'm, I'm keeping talent there and, and figuring it all out, you know, next offseason. Yeah, that's what makes these questions difficult as we look at it a lot of the times with the best way to build the team and really set this up to be sustainable. But Ron, it's not year one for him anymore. He can't necessarily do that. So I think franchise tag, you take calls, you don't turn it down. And this is, I think, as high as Deron Payne's stock will be. You know, he's only going to get older, even though he's still really young. And 11 and a half sacks, it's just really rarefied air for an interior lineman. So I think you keep him, you pair him with Allen, and then you just hope that a healthy Chase Young for the whole season makes this D-line go from really good, which is what it was last year, to just week in, week out up there with like the Niners in terms of just wrecking games over and over again. And and Matt, before I ask you the same thing, it's not just Rivera in that last year. This front office, if Rivera goes, they're going, right? So usually in this kind of situation, you may have a GM who's not linked as much to the coach who could maybe make decisions that were more long-term versus just and I don't think keeping Deron Payne is just short term that's like he's a really good player you know who's worth keeping around but I wonder you know you want about that and then they would have some absolute depth on that line with with Ridgeway as well and depending on how Mathis develops and comes back from that injury but anyways Matt what do you think about all this yeah I mean it's the only thing I would worry about with the franchise tag is you're pretty much eliminating the chance at a long-term deal. I mean, we've seen it with Brandon Sheriff, Kirk Cousins. Like, it, it kind of closes the window. But honestly, they missed their window to extend Deron Payne. Um, they could have potentially tried to extend him last summer. Now we were talking all about Terry McLaurin at the time. So maybe it is a little bit revisionist history, to be fair. I don't think a lot of us were talking about a Payne extension. But, I mean, he put himself in that position because he had a phenomenal year. So... Uh, but I'd be comfortable with just the one year and really kind of hope Mathis develops behind him, kind of hoping what they wanted to see this year and to see if it happens. Um, the franchise tag, I think, still makes a lot of sense. And the offensive line, too, to me, is the other, obviously a huge yeah. one. And 
we do see in the playoffs, like the Eagles have a really good offensive line, but they also have a really good quarterback. They have a really good skill sets and all that, which is why they have a good shot to win. Niners the same way. I also think they use their, their, their personnel very well. Then you have the Bengals who, who, who line does not have a great reputation, but you have the quarterback. So if you don't have the quarterback, you better get the line. So where would Sam, where do you start? You brought up center. Is that where you'd start? Or is there somewhere else you would start to fix that line? Well, I think that that's where they're focused on. I think that's the thing they're going to start with um, just because of how, you know, upfront they were about needing to get younger there. And then the, I think the only position that you really have solidified after that is at left tackle with Leno um, and his contract last off season. And then to me, it's, what do you do at both guard spots? I think that they would like Chris Paul to fill one of them. And I think that, you know, he, he I don't think he was insane in, in his debut, but I, I don't think he was, you know, bad either. I think, you know, it's what to be expected. From flashes. There were flashes. Um, and so, you know, okay, pencil him in at left guard. Then do, I think that the next biggest question is, where is Sam Cosby? Right. And, and I think that because of where you had him in the last game, you have him at tackle. Um, and so to me, if he's the right tackle, who, who do you have at right guard and, and wh- what do you see, um, as the future there, whether that be somebody in the draft, whether it be somebody in free agency, um, you can build it from there. But to me, the, the biggest question mark then becomes center and right guard, um, in terms of you don't have in-house solutions and you need to get depth. And, and I think I said this to you in the beat room time at one point, but to me, Cornelius Lucas is the offensive line version of Taylor Heineke. Like, yeah. He's very good. Like he can he can do the job over a certain period of time, but I think over a larger sample size like this season, you understand why he is not a consistent starter in the league. He's a really good backup, and there's absolutely oh, nothing yeah. wrong with that. And it's why he's been valuable here because he always needs to play. So, you know, for Pete, do you do you look at the same way with the line? Because my well, I, I wonder if as far as Cosme goes, will his future be determined before the draft or after the draft? And, you know, like, are do you get a tackle in the draft, say, okay, you got this tackle at 16, push him inside, or would you, you know, do you need to make your decision before then? But where would you go with all that? Yeah, I, I, Cosby thing's, uh, you know, definitely a topic. And I think it took a toll on him. He did an end-of-year presser in the locker room, and he's like, look, no one really told me what was going on, and I would like to know where I'm going to play. And I would imagine, you know, this, is, this isn't some guy you signed for a one-year deal and you're just mm-hmm. screwing around. Like, this is a second-round pick. Right. And you can't really be burning those. This team has burned them for year after year after year. So they need to find a way to play him, and he needs to find a way to stay on the field. So that would, you know, it's on both sides. But he could be a good player. Um, for me, I don't think there's any spot on the O-line that's, like, sacred. Even Charles Leno, I think he probably had a, a down year, and, and his first year here was really good or better than what you thought you were getting from a guy who was released in May. But why not try and find a better left tackle, too? I mean, the Seahawks this year – drafted two tackles and it and made their team so much better. And now they have those bookends for years and years to come. And the last thing I'll say, and Kyle, you'll have a better knowledge of this, but like when was the last time this team really spent on a, on a big offensive lineman, like a four year, $70 million type deal. Like they should, that's not an awful thing to do. You can go out and spend big time on a young lineman. Now I don't know how many of those are going to be available. Maybe it's Orlando Brown and that's about it. But like they, they might need to just throw some, serious resources as opposed to doing the one-year deals or the drafts like find someone who you know is going to be really good right and i think you know that would be interesting as a left tackle i don't know i haven't looked at the free agents yet for that and i don't know if there'd be someone there and how much would you have to spend would it be better to draft a guy and roll with leno at left tackle and get a right tackle for a year 
um, what what is the better solution? Because you know that's the money's going to come into play with it. And they, you know, with Sheriff, they tried. He clearly didn't want to stay here. So for whatever the reasons were, um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's been a while. And the guy they should have kept here for a long time is Trent Williams, and they did not. So that's mm -hmm. we don't need to go into all that. But Matt, what do you what do you think about the O line? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I kind of agree with Pete. I think Charles Leno played fine. He was amazingly self aware in his yeah. post, in his end of the season uh, thing, his end of the season press conference or scrum or whatever, and um, basically said that he didn't play well. And honestly, he cost them some games. So we talked about how did they not beat the Giants? I mean, his strip, they get sacked when. Kevon Thibodeau beat him. I mean, it was that, that was a game-changing play. But I think why not that I'm like actively campaigning to replace Charles Leno, but I think left tackle is such a commodity, such an important position that if there is a star prospect that you like at 16, and you know it's harder to find that. And you know Charles Leno, he hasn't played right tackle in a long time, but he played it in Chicago at the beginning of his career. I mean, you could always have him play over there. I don't think that's a terrible option. And if they wanted to free up more cap room, I mean, they would save $8 million releasing him. I think the Bears made a huge mistake, and that's how the commanders uh, got Charles Leno in the first place, is they thought they had a left tackle of the future and Kevin Jenkins, and then that turned out to be a disaster. But um, they have options. Right, and I, I think you're. I think that's all fair. Like, if you find a guy, like, when you haven't had a winning record in a while and you haven't had great success in a while – is there really anybody who shouldn't be off limits now, except for a guy like McLaurin, who's like clearly a cornerstone, John Allen, clearly, you know, those kind of guys short of that, Sam, is there anybody that should be comfortable with their standing? Well, I feel like the, the real the cam football, curls of the world too. I mean, you know, there's the real football guy answer is no competition is, is, is what we base yeah. our program yeah. on. No one's safe ever. What have you done for me on the last nap? Oklahoma drills, let's run them. <laughs> uh, like at the same those. time, you know, even though Charles Leno was, as as we've talked about, like not great this year, it it's tough because there are so like there's there's plenty of holes, there's plenty of spots to upgrade, but like at some point, like I think you need to say like, hey, if we're gonna get C plus production from X spot, like we need to take that and we need to raise. Like our, you know, the 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 tight end production needs to go from like a D to a B. You know, like I think it's all about evaluating like where do you need to get better. And and Charles Leno, when Charles Leno has been bad in Washington, he's been really bad. Like he he blew the block on the play that like Ryan Fitzpatrick got his season ending injury on. Like there's there's definitely been a pattern with that, but I don't think he's been bad enough consistently where you have to say like, hey, we have to move on. But to your point, if there's uh if there's you know, a really good tackle available in the draft and, and you think that he'd be better there, that's an option. But my sense is just by, you know, reading other people around the league, like the offensive line market is not going to be good in free agency. I remember when the Packers signed uh, Elchin Jenkins to the four-year $68 million deal. Like he was supposed to be one of the better linemen getting out of the market. All of a sudden he's gone in late December. And so I just wonder sort of like with quarterback, like, what are, what are the options available and are they realistic upgrades? The draft is good for tackles as, as well. And I had Jordan Reed on ESPN draft analyst um, early, on an earlier episode. And that's one of the things we talked about. It is a good draft class for tackles, especially in the first round. So I think you can address that there if you want to. The question is, though, 
you know, how many other spots do you need to address when you get to the draft and, and, and all that. So Matt, what about like cam curl? Do you, I mean, and we talked about this last episode, but the ownership question kind of hovers over the ability to keep him. Do you think they will be able to get something done? And obviously I, I think we'd all agree that they should get something done with him. Yeah, no, I, I don't know if they can, but they, they should. I mean, I, I'm interested to see what the number would be personally. I mean, uh, at least 10 million, probably 13, what, 16 is for a top safety. I mean, he's ranked as one of the best safeties in the league. I don't know necessarily if he is considered. I don't know. If he hit the open market, would he get 15 million, 16? I, maybe, I but I, I don't I don't know for, for that. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think they, they should. It's But to your point, I mean, the, the ownership uncertainty, it's just hard to – hard to get a read on that i mean does how much do they want to commit in future salary i don't think the next owner necessarily would care if camp Curl is locked up or not locked up you know they can it's just it's how much do they let the next guy come in and evaluate things completely versus leaving him some things in place but camp Curl is a piece that you should want to have in place i would i would imagine for just for context like derwin james reset the market you know, last offseason for 19 okay. in APY. Minka Fitzpatrick was 18, Jamal Adams 17 and a half, Harrison Smith 16, Justin right. Simmons 15, Buda Baker, and then a bunch of, you know, Buda Baker's kind of clumped with a, a couple different guys at 14. And so to me, like Cam Curl is, is probably not a 19 APY guy, but he, you know, I could totally see him coming in around like 14, 15. Because like, and I wonder too, like his value is very high here for what they ask him to do. Yeah. So then yeah, as we saw with his on off field splits this year. Very, very much so. And, you know, I think one of the things with him is that he, he doesn't, he's not considered necessarily a playmaker per se. However, I think he's a guy who definitely prevents plays from happening because of his play saver. He, because he does his job. And, and so, you know, I think that's one, that's one of the things that he does very well, but he also can play multiple roles for you. And if you need that in your defense, he's going to have more value to you. Um, so what do you think, Pete? Yeah, I, I think it's nice that you're going to bleep all this Cam Curl positive talk out since Ron doesn't want anyone to know how good Cam Curl is, specifically Cam Curl. I'm going to block his agent from listening to this. <laughs> um, yeah, Cam Curl is an absolute must, uh, a paramount signing. Um, and I, I would imagine they can get it done. I think his lack of flashy plays and interceptions, he hasn't had one of the past two years. He had a few uh turnovers as a rookie but it has since gone dry in that department might help Washington's cause but yeah I mean every time he didn't play one of the first things both Ron and Del Rio talked about was we really miss having Cam Curl out there so his value is really known and yeah I don't know if uh a, a NFC South team would cherish Cam Curl quite as much they might think oh you know we can we can find a guy like that but um I think for Washington he is he's got to be kept because he just can can fill so many holes and, and can play three positions for the price of one. Sam? Real quick, and, I, and I'm going to put this entirely on the host of this show, how have we not talked about the guy who has been instrumental to the development of Cam Curl, of Derek Forrest, of Benjamin oh, St. Juice, yeah. leaving this team and how yeah, big – No, and yeah. I, think that's, I think that's a great point, and I'm glad you brought that up because Thank you, that Sam. is something that, you know, you yeah. wonder where does that go, and as we talk, we well, don't we got to say what it is first. Chris well, Harris, Chris Harris. Chris, Chris Harris, Harris leaving for Tennessee. Correct. Well, Tennessee, or he's still going to interview for Chicago's defensive coordinator job. So one of those jobs, he will be leaving. And how big a loss is that? Do you think? I'm I, I glad think you it, brought that up. 
it's it's huge because like he has I think if you think which defender besides for Deron Payne has has taken you know a huge step forward and and really become more than what they expected like Montez Sweat's progression this year I think was was expected right like that's he has the talent but Derek Forrest, like on draft night, Martin Mayhew said, we really expect him to be a core special teamer. Right. And now, now he's like, you know, a, a top two safety uh, and Bobby McCain sliding down to the nickel. So like, I think Chris Harris, I mean, arguably, I know we talked about Matt's go the last couple of years on the offensive line, but I think Chris Harris is, is, was arguably their best position coach um, the last two years. Yeah. That's an astute point. And, and, you know, you'd like to think, OK, they can just find somebody else now that Forrest is ascending and now that Curl's really established, like, you know, Benjamin St. Juice, like they're good players now. So whoever comes in is going to be able to work with them. But that secondary coach spot was one they struggled with, with Torian Gray and and guys kind of around that time. It was a bit of a revolving door and Harris has really solidified it. So, um, you know, at least the group is mature and they know what to do. But um, having a guy that is respected and that works with the guys. I mean, Harris was really fun to watch during training camp. He seemed to have an approach that they really bought into. It's going to be pretty important that they figure that out, but still that doesn't change uh, curl as like, you know, any, I think anybody can work with him, but right. who can, can, can the next guy get Christian Holmes from a, a guy who can play to a guy who can play and be a reliable third corner. That's where these position coaches really make a difference right. with those fringe guys. And we would all talk about this during Matt. I'll get to you in a second. We always talked about this during the summer. Like, Watching Chris Harris, and you bring up, I, I brought up energy on the previous episode, his energy, you see it on the field. You can see it and you can feel it. And it's not a fake energy, right? There's constant motion. I always, I joked with him, like, I'd like to put a Fitbit on him to see how many steps he gets during practice because he's constantly running up and congratulating guys. But he also, what I also would, you would hear a lot is the teaching aspect and listening for, and he would shout out, he's 30 yards behind the field. I can't hear you. I can't hear you before the snap because he wants his guys communicating with one another. That comes from a lot of what he was doing. And then, he, you know, immediately bringing guys over after the play to say, this is what we saw. This is what we need you to do. Things like that. Like that's all, that all is key to development. It's not just, you know, guys jumping around. It's the, uh, it's a teaching aspect and then combined with the other stuff. The other thing is it's funny because like the defensive backs room, you bring up Torian Gray and all that. These D back rooms can be, um, different because you have different personalities typically in there. Same with the receivers. If you don't have the right group, I do think that the, this group of receivers and this group of defensive backs are highly professional guys like St. Juice, Kendall Fuller, uh, Cam Curl, Derek Forrest, Bob McCain. They all take a certain approach. So I think it makes them a, they're a, they're a highly coachable group. I think that helps. So Matt, what did you have to add? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it helps as, I don't necessarily know what they'll do in terms of filling that position, but they have Richard Rogers on staff. They have Brent Gieselmeyer. These are guys that have been position coaches full stop at, at other places. I mean, you know, Rogers was um, Carolina's secondary coach for two years. Um, Gieselmeyer with Oakland with Del Rio. So they have some veteran coaching experience there. Uh, I think with the teaching aspect, the guy I'm really interested to see how it impacts is a guy like Percy Butler. Yeah, good this point. Someone that they were really excited about on draft night. Even saying that he could be a contributor in year one, that didn't necessarily pan out because of the depth and force emergence. And some but, injuries he had too. Yes, yes. And, and uh, But they were really talking him up as the year progressed. They even used the Forest comp to say, look at how this guy is developing on special teams. Now maybe he can be a contributor next year. Does 
Harris leaving, does that change it at all? And they still um, get the most out of him. But I'm still really interested to see on how he develops. And I guess one last thing I'll say is the – I do think this front office has done a good job of identifying talent in the later rounds to at least have the potential to play. I know you mentioned Forrest as mainly a special teams guy, but he showed enough on film to at least – they're not slowly drafting a guy for his special teams ability. They're, they're going to believe in him as a football player at least a little bit. Um, so I do think this front office has done a nice job with safety prospects. A very good, good, very good point. The other, the other spot that I want to talk about too is linebacker. What do they do there? Because and and obviously one one last thing on the defensive backs. To me, they have to add another corner. Yeah. Are we in agreement yeah. here? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So you're here. There we go. Well, no. We'll, Oh, just to ask though, like, do you see that as an outside guy, or would you kind of bring in a traditional nickel and kind of just? No, I, I would add an outside guy. I, I would add an outside guy, and if you want to bring, if you want to push Fuller inside, you can do that. You, we we saw that St. Juice could handle that role early on too. If you really want to keep those three on there, and you feel St. Juice is better inside in a nickel situation, but I would, you know, you there's I just think it gives you more ability. Like if you have an outside guy, you could start St. Juice and whoever it is. And then bring Fuller in on a nickel situation and push somebody inside, whether it's St. Juiced or Fuller, both have handled that role. So I think there, there's ways you can go, but you need to add some depth there. But with linebacker, and we only got a couple more minutes here, but linebacker, what do you do there, Sam? Cole Holcomb's a free agent. We know they need depth. What do you do? I think this depends on, on your postseason evaluation of, of Jamin Davis. Like I think that he did a really nice job. Uh, without Cole Holcomb and, and, you know, he made a lot of minute steps to, to shore up the nuances of his position. But do you think that him being the full-time Mike is back on the table? Because if he is your full-time middle linebacker spot, then, okay, you can bring back Cole Holcomb and say, okay, we want you to slim down and, and go back to that um, outside linebacker spot that you used to be in. And maybe, you know, the price on that is, is pretty affordable. Um, but, if you aren't confident that he, if Jamin can do that, if you still need him to play, even though he's the green dot, if you still need him outside, then I think you probably want to go get um, a heavier or more veteran Mike. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, the John Bostic or, or David Mayo. No, a solid start, a very good starter type. Yes, exactly. Um in, in the linebacker market, you know, in the in the modern NFL is is not, you know, that's not going to break the bank for you unless you go get a, you know, and Fred Warner's not available. But, like, if you want a caliber of his player, that would be. But I think that uh, getting someone that you need to pair with Davis would not break the bank. Um, so I think that I could see them going either way. I think you'd certainly need another one. Whether you think Cole Holcomb can fit that role is, I think, TBD. Yeah, th this is going back to Sam's, like, are you okay with C plus at one spot and then, uh, you know, trying to upgrade elsewhere and, you know, you can't just fix your entire team in one off season. I think linebacker with the way this D line can play when fully healthy might be a spot where you can skimp a little bit. Um, I Holcomb, I, he's replacement level, maybe a step above, but he's certainly not going to compete for any pro bowls, but he's a fine player. And if Davis continues to improve and can be more of that roving sideline to sideline guy, you can certainly get by with a Holcomb Davis pairing. So I would be okay with them keeping Holcomb getting Davis, but then you need to find a third, you know, they like what Klee Hudson did in the finale, but get rid of the Mayos and the Bostics, find a third guy who has more of a ceiling, maybe more of a, a, a complete kind of profile as opposed to just 
filling that in with whoever is available in August. Like there needs to be a new player, but I don't necessarily think it needs to be a new starter. Just a new depth piece is right. where I would probably top out at. I would definitely agree with the adding the depth. And I also think you need to find another guy who can play that Buffalo nickel role, whether it's whether it's a safety or a linebacker type in case something happens to Cam Curl that you don't have to completely change everything you do. Yes. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I completely agree. And I guess I'm curious on the what the number would be for Cole Holcomb. Does he accept a one-year deal? At, you know, what, can't what, imagine it's going to cost a lot to sign him. No, I, I agree, and I I think his injury kind of helps in Washington's right. case to lower his value. So I think making bringing him back makes sense. But if he walked, I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world. I was I was pleasantly surprised with what we saw from Davis. I didn't really necessarily think that was coming. There you go. Is there is there a position or a player that you think we haven't talked about that you say keep your eye on this guy because of the how it might the ramifications whether it's a JD McKissick which I think because the neck injury I think we know there's a decision for him to make and and I think Rivera would put running back on the offseason list but is there another spot you say this is another area that we haven't talked about that is worth watching? Logan Thomas at tight end is is definitely one that pops. Yeah. Um, you know, behind him is a bunch of projects and Armani Rogers showed out well for considering what kind of investment they made in him. And Cole Turner is still a total mystery. I know Ben Standing has that stat that Reggie Bonifon ended up having more touches this season than Cole Turner, which speaks to just which is how unbelievable, which is the most outlandish thing you can ever think of. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, Thomas, you want to keep him because he's the only guy who's proven anything, but he might be on the decline there. So I think Thomas can be a, a bit of a fork in the road at tight end. What do you think, Sam? Real quick, I think that uh, running back is a thing that we should talk about because Ron Rivera talks about the wanting the two-back set that he had in Carolina, run first offense. But if you go back and look at that, like D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart, I think missed like seven of 64 games in their first two years together, like like both of them combined. And uh, you know they, they played super well. They picked up a ton of yards, both passing game, running game. But if you look at the next two years, which is when they were together – they missed a combined, I want to say, 21 games right. out of 64. Like, like you can't hold up. And when you look at the injuries Antonio Gibson's had the last two years, when you look at Brian Robinson, I mean, neither of those guys are are the massive, like, you know, Michael Turner, you know, can take a bunch of hits. Like, they're both, you know, they're, they're big, strong guys, but they're thinner guys. Right. Like, they're not dudes that can hold up over – tons and tons of touches. So you need to go get a Peyton Barber or somebody else who I know Brian Robinson's good in that short yardage situation, but like you're talking about a volume of carries a run first offense over 17 games. Well, that's a key. You just, you, you can't go into it with those two guys. And then like a marginal third, in my opinion. Right. No, I think you're right. And I think that good point is 17 games plus the run heavy philosophy. You're going to have to have someone add up. What do you think? What's your, what's your last take here, Matt? Uh, a position we haven't really thrown around. This is this is my Sam Howell is going to be the starter take that Sam threw out uh, the last time we did this pod, not or one of the first times. But kicker, you know, Joey yeah. Sly. Oh, <laughs> year. They, you know, we always talk about competition, competition, competition. It's worth exploring whether to bring in like another camp body to, to push him. Maybe trying to bring back Brian Johnson or. Old friend Dustin Hopkins, if they want to bring him ah, back around. Blewett's uh, still out there. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go check. Get Brett Maher in here, too. I was, I was just about to say, that's what making that's what's making Paris bring this up. Yeah. No, I mean. It, it's it's a good point. I think it's honestly worth exploring. I mean, it, he didn't have a great year by any means. 
I think his range is, you know, uh, a, a great asset, but it's it's the mental side of things. He's just off sometimes. I think that's a good point. And fellas, we're gonna add, we're gonna end there. And I want in a minute, I want you guys to tell people where they can get you. I want to thank you guys again for coming on and folks listening. I really, really respect all three of these guys. They really work hard. I think it's a hardworking group. It's why I enjoy this press corps. But I think, you know, we we obviously have a good rapport. We have a good time. But I think there's a lot of respect in that room. And um, I think, you know, I certainly have it for you guys. So I appreciate you guys coming on. Sam, tell people where they can find you. Then we'll go down the line, Pete, Matt. Yeah, I think uh, people definitely got through the second episode because of the last time you ended it with the OnlyFans reference. Um, you can find me at Sam4TR, S-A-M, the number four T-R on Twitter. At Pete Haley, NBCS in time, not to get all mushy, but you're always saying how much you respect us. We clearly respect you too. Thank you for having us on your show. Well, I appreciate it. Go ahead, Matt. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matthew underscore Paris, P A R. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. That's a strong finish. Why don't we repeat that, Matt? Yes. Where can they find you, Matt? At Matthew underscore Paris. My name is already spelled out in the title, so you can... Uh... But if people are listening, they can't see it. Oh. Spell your last name, damn it. I just did like four times. I just tripped up because I had like a hiccup or something. I don't know. It turns out 75 minutes is our absolute max of recording a pod in a day. Well, I work at the Washington Times. You guys didn't plug your workplaces. Sam works at the Washington Post. and Which is not for sale. I work somewhere. <laughs> there you uh, go. And I, uh, I, like I said, I appreciate the time. We're still about 20 minutes shy of what Standig would have you on his podcast. So <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> so anyway, all right. Thanks guys. I, I really, like I said, I ha- I love having you guys on. So thanks a lot. Yeah. We love being we'll on do it again we'll soon. All right. I've got our- Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear. Check breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Matthew Paris and Sam Fortier and Pete Haley for joining me. And thank you, as always, for listening. I know you have choices out there. I appreciate you choosing this show. So I'll be back with another episode on Wednesday morning. Talk to you next time.